0: Welcome to Twin Peaks The Return, a Season 3 podcast. This episode we'll be looking at Part 3 of Twin Peaks The Return. I'm Andy Hazel.
1: I'm Hayley Inch, and shit is about to get real friends. Big time. It's all coming together.
0: <laughs> <laughs> we also have Eloise Ross with us.
2: Hi, Andy. Hi, Haley. Thanks for having me
1: back again.
0: It's, it's an absolute thrill and our privilege and pleasure. Absolutely. Um, so the IMDb description of Part 3 is Cooper calls for help. Agents Gordon Cole, Albert Rosenfeld and Tammy Preston investigate the glass box murders.
1: Yes. Or if you're watching via Stan, it is literally just one one of two of the now most memeable parts of this episode call for help. Yes, and call for help.
2: Yes, and I uh, will say that my email thread that I sent to both of you about recording this episode was, in fact, call for help, exclamation point. (laughs) And every time I read it, I say it in Kyle McLaughlin's really beautiful cadence. Yes, Yes.
0: I think probably some of the dear listeners are also thinking of it in their heads. I do hope so. (laughs) Oh, (laughs) Oh, my god! what a time
1: to be alive. I know,
0: it's a (laughs) a revolution. It's so exciting where you think you've got the golden age of television and then you're like, oh no, let's just turn that on his head. Or, in the case of the very first scene in this, uh, fall, throw it through space. Because good paper is yep. falling through space again.
1: And then maybe make it a little bit purple.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And a little bit reminiscent.
1: Yes. And then all of a sudden we're in a Magritte painting.
0: Oh, good call. Mm, I was trying yes. to think of the name. Yes, Magritte.
1: Magritte painting. Or, quite honestly, I also thought a lot during this sequence where Coop gets flung into this structure in space... What the heck is happening? Um, I thought actually a lot about the films of Guy Madden. Um, mm. He's one of my main film dudes. I'm really happy I'm able to shoehorn him in on this project. Yeah, um, but, yeah, he popped in my head immediately, particularly in reference to, yeah, the room with uh, Naido, who is the, the, the woman without eyes, um, the really statico frame movement that's going on in there, and also the really soft hazy focus of the image because of course mm. Madden's whole deal is resurrecting old forms of filmmaking and referencing back to particularly silent cinema and to have imagery like that overlaid with the really almost like industrial soundscape that that Lynch tends to favor is like really jolting
0: mm. Yeah, I agree. And also, just in passing, um, we will be having uh, David Lynch's sound designer as a guest on an interview on a later episode. Hooray! His name's John Neff. He's worked with Lynch ever since Straight Story and designed his Lynch's studio for him. So he'll be giving us lots of insights. He also Amazing. wrote a song that's going to turn up in a later episode, although even he, even he doesn't know which one.
1: Oh, great. Which is kind I love of it. as it should be. Mysteries. <laughs> yes,
0: everywhere. <laughs> Yeah, so we get Cooper in this bizarre building, um, and, the, and the, the fact that it was violet on the outside, the sea that he's looking over is violet. I thought was really interesting. That's an unusual color choice for Lynch. Mm-hmm. You don't see that very often.
1: Maybe it just really signposts that this is somewhere very otherworldly, yes. somewhere we yeah. haven't been before.
0: Yeah, so I think this is probably one of my favourite sections of uh, thus far because we're just so disoriented, mm-hmm. exactly as Cooper is in, the, in these scenes. We don't know where we are, what's, where, what's going on, um, or who the woman is with her eyes shut, or why. Mm-hmm. Cooper kind of goes into this building via, via a large window, which I thought was another telling piece of symbolism rather than a door. Flash shot of this woman who I thought it first looked like Josie because she was kind of dressed in a similar sort of way with this kind of elegance and refinement and then this sense of isolation around her as well.
1: Yeah I've, I've got to admit by the end of this kind of sequence, my shoulders kind of went up around my ears at the fact that the second major representation of an Asian woman in Twin Peaks was a voiceless one with no eyes who then got flung into space. She's a very arresting image but for a show that is is not great on on diversity representation <laughs> uh, this is this is uh, as we like to call Probo. <laughs>
0: She tries to um identify Cooper by feeling his face and then tries to speak to him but then there's, and then we've this beautiful flicking. This t- time move, is moving very strangely back and forth here. As if they're kinda of trapped in the VHS recorder or something.
2: Yeah, I loved the flicking of the time and obviously the referring back to the code numbers from part two, mm-hmm. you know, the two two five two, two five three um, that flicking back and forth. Does this mean that there is a specific time at which Coop is able to get out, and the universe is sort of allowing him to do so? If he misses it, will it go back and like mm. you know? Because obviously everything is supposed to align, and obviously not everything does, as we figure. But there are obviously mysterious pieces yes. at work. <laughs> as always. <laughs> Who would have sunk it? Yeah. <laughs> but I love, you know, the focus on time and very specific moments ticking over. Um, you know, it's it's fascinating. It's so absorbing. And it, as if Lynch wasn't absorbing enough to kind of introduce these numbers to, to watch out to dry our
0: eyes. Yeah, what did you think of the, um, the decor? Because it, it's such an interesting room. Because it, it has this sort of strange modernist feel, this huge long curved couch. And mm. then when we get outside the room, it feels like we're in a piece of like wayward bit of an industrial wreckage or something
2: yes with a, a thimble type <laughs> yes yeah. shape on it <laughs> or uh, a
1: bell just... a bell possibly a bell it felt bellish to me Mm. yeah like a
2: doorbell um and then the you know you've got the kind of ringer up there
1: yeah that's Mm. very possible Mm. to be fair i just sat during this entire sequence just going i don't know what's going on yeah and i honestly don't want to know Mm. i just kind of want to let everything happen to me yeah okay yeah
0: it's got this strange mix of domesticity and total alienation which i guess is you know two of the core aspects of the twin peaks to begin with and then we get the figure banging at the door, or there's some sort of urgency that's mm. happening here, where we, which kind of reminds us of the urgency where he needs, needed to get out of the Black Lodge earlier mm. in the previous um, part. They escape out outside into another room, and then up a steel ladder in, onto the top of this spaceship. Um, so well, we, what they,
1: we assume is a spaceship. Yeah, we assume it is, It's, yeah. it's, it's just a thing floating in space. Mm.
0: Yeah, and so then this banging is, like, going on all the way through, so we've got this kind of really, really deafening almost soundtrack. Um, until she pulls a lever and then um, seems to electrocute herself and is flung into space. And then soon Major Briggs makes a a welcome reappearance. Mm.
1: He's a giant face scrolling through space and this is fine. (laughs) This
0: is so fine. And he says the words blue rose. So we're getting some sort of uh, nod back to the role that he had which we don't really, never, was never really explained in the TV show, but in Mark Frost's book, we mm. understand that there is a, a, like a space mon- deep space monitoring station just outside of the Twin Peaks, and the Major Briggs has had a very illustrious career in the US government um, in the decades leading up to this, and he came across Wyndham Earl, um, which, you know, whoever will remember from the, late, the later season. There was that time that the, the, he intercepted the, the phrase Cooper, Cooper, from outer space, and so I figured this we might be up at another relaying station, or we might be up at some other sort of place. That he is with which he's oh,
2: familiar. yeah, that's mm. a good point, Andy. Possibly yeah. And
0: so with Blue Rose cases, which I guess people will know from um, Fire Walk with Me, uh, are, are these are either things that David Lynch is like, just like these are like deeper mysteries he likes exploring by himself. But I feel like every time the word Blue Rose comes up, Mark Frost is out of the room mm. <laughs> with like you know we've got no real sense of narrative here. This is going to have to do with spirits and accessing other parts of the world as we know it. Um, so the number inside, there's a strange contraption on the wall with a lever that, and a number that says three. It did say 15 before.
2: Mm. Yes. Well, do you know what? Tell me. I just remembered. Dale Cooper's Room number uh, in the original series was three fifteen. Yeah,
0: and it that number also appears on the keyring. Mm. Dun it dun. dun so... uh, case closed. <laughs> case yeah. closed.
2: It's
1: okay, so he's basically put in his his sender's number into this intergalactic interdimensional fax machine and then feeds himself into
0: it. Mm. Yeah. Well, actually, in, this, in the um, in the episode 29 original script, before David Lynch tore up two-thirds of it and rewrote it and improvised the entire thing in one night in a soundstage, Bless. the Great Northern was meant to become this spiritual... Sorry, mm. this, like, access point. So there, that is totally possible.
1: There was always weird shit going on up there. In the Great
0: Northern, yeah. I mean, what, what's happening with Josie still? Is she still there? Who knows?
1: Oh, God. Did everyone read Joan Chen's Amazing Yeah, World? I did. I did. That was so That good. woman understands Twin Peaks better than any of us.
0: I know, and yet she is denied. Oh. Um. Or maybe... Or is she?
1: Or is she? I don't know. Yeah, is it all just a? Well, we
0: don't know. Their cast list is Some complete great bollocks. Game. Well, mostly, largely mm. bollocks.
1: Yeah. Ooh. Oh, far out. I'd love for her to come back. Justice for Josie. This was. Mm, this hashtag. was my
0: hashtag. <laughs> so we, yeah, we still don't think we've got Heather Graham. Although, do we? Oh,
1: Who knows? Who knows? David Bowie was
0: meant to. Did he? Did he? Who knows? Oh, who knows? This is brilliant. Yeah. Um. Anyway, so the woman is sitting there. She turns her face from the fire. She looks at the fire. Raises her wristwatch. It's two fifty three. A lamp goes on next to the machine. Cooper continues to observe. He just watches. He does a lot of watching.
1: This is a different woman, though, isn't it? Yes, this is uh,
0: American Woman. Sorry. Yes. So, yeah, this is um, American Woman played by Phoebe Augustine.
1: Yes, so American Woman shows up, and she says to Coop, when you get there, you'll already be there. Oh, that's my favourite line. So So. great. So (laughs) great. (laughs) I know, and it's
0: Phoebe Augustine back, but not as Ronette Pulowski. No. No, one of uh, also with Carol Strickin in the first in, a, in part one was mm. the giant. This time he's five question marks.
1: Yeah. Well, just because
0: somebody's being recast doesn't you know, doesn't mean they're playing the same character. Ah, oh, so confusing. <laughs> anyway, um, he foc- uh, so Cooper continues to stare at that machine. The camera zooms in, and then we cut to a highway where Double Coop is at the wheel of a car. The same car that his friend Jack fixed, I think, in the previous part. And, yes, sorry, Jack
1: who is no more. Uh, yes,
0: Jack with a massaged face. Uh, The time in the car is now 2.53 um, and Doppelkoop is experiencing um, some sort of stress or breakdown in communication and there's a glowing cigarette lighter type thing which we assume is some sort of portal or allows him to hear or monitor other parts of um, the world of Twin Peaks. And there's also a brief electrocution moment where um, Good Cooper is suddenly overcome by his power and he's kind of dragged towards this light (laughs) <laughs> which I thought was another really beautiful use of gentle special effects and really good acting from Kyle.
1: Yes, absolutely. And also, I wouldn't have paid attention to this previously had Andy not told me that electricity is very important within Lynchian endeavors. Mm. So I was very keenly taking note of this mm. and going, "Oh, okay, Lynch really wants us to to pay close attention Particularly to the electricity here. in numbers." Yes. This
0: is a huge thing. This is a big, big thing in understanding Firewalk with me and how people travel around through via electricity mm. from the lodge. And particularly because there's often numbers on telephone or on electricity poles and that sort of stuff. Mm. So here we've got the numbers 315 and 253 and electricity. So mm. everybody's senses should be up.
1: Yes. So anyway, yes. Coop feeds himself through the interdimensional fax machine. <laughs> For your knowledge, shoes do not go through the interdimensional fax machine, mm. but people can. Yeah. Or Coop can, anyway.
0: So the symbolism is, like, is Cooper not grounded? Because shoes, okay, like shoes in Twin Peaks have a big long history. New mm. shoes, new shoes. There's so much stuff going on here. So I think he's either not grounded or he's lost some part of himself mm. by not being able to take his shoes through with him. Cooper leans into the electrocution, the machine glows, and he seems to be sucked into it. Um, I thought more of a conveyor, but I'd much prefer your intergalactic fax machine. <laughs> construction.
1: I think it's great. Right. Inter- <laughs> intergalactic and interdimensional fax machine. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Yeah, and so the electricity is reciprocated on the other side back in the real world where Doppelkoop is driving and this whole car seems to be like alive with it. And he's kind of overcome by it and then the car veers off the road and he's in a uh, single vehicle accident. Um, and he's still, it's still 253 on the block yeah. as well. And then we cut to the Rancho Rosa construction site where... Ha
1: <laughs> <laughs> Rancho Rosa. Ha uh, uh. <laughs>
0: Yeah. What are those initials again? What are those initials? <laughs>
1: yeah. Beautiful.
0: Um, and this is also the name of the production company at the beginning yes. of it. Mm,
2: so,
0: I've noticed that. Yeah, yeah more attention re- is attention rewarded is it all over again, and we see a really really awkward scene of Cooper with a naked sex worker.
1: Ah, but it's not Coop. It is, is no Dougie, Dougie, Dougie. Yeah. Dougie. Uh, and also, yeah, I've got to I've got to do the Probo thing again. <laughs> Mm. Not jazz that the first major appearance of a black woman in Twin Peaks with a significant um guesting role is a sex worker who's first seen basically full frontal naked. Yeah. This mm. is I said in the in, in one of our earlier episodes that yeah, race is like the big thing that I just do not trust Lynch with it all, and he's <laughs> proving my trepidations. Yeah, well, or so frost, frost as well, I think. yeah. Oh. Mm.
0: I think, well, Frost is certainly much more than Lynch interested in uh, Eastern religion and that sort of thing. So there's definitely an issue there where I feel like he's often never left California. But he still knows an awful lot about um, Jungian analysis and the use of symbols in other cultures. Mm, Moving on. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So we also, at this point, we see the ring on Dougie's hand. (gasps) <gasps> Rings. which is very key
1: we know they're important
0: yes we do we, particularly if we have seen the missing pieces because there's a bit more background is given to the role of the ring in that and in the, also in the secret history of Twin Peaks that's, the book is largely concerned with the passage of the ring through decades and centuries in fact um, and then we put on we see one of the ugliest suits in recent living memory oh my god um, Dougie's <laughs> brain's oversized mustard coloured horrific contraption
2: never wanted to see Carl McLaughlin wear that colour ever no yeah no
0: but it is useful for telling us apart, telling when we're looking at Dougie.
1: This is true if we couldn't tell from
0: his Although, outrageous oh, sideburns. Not forever. Well, yeah, that's true. Mm, yeah, man. And also some of Carl's fashion choices in the second season when he was no longer able to put on a uniform mm. were mm. mockable easily. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Um, so back to the car with the, the red room drapes flicker briefly. So we know that there's mm. some sort of um, tra- uh, travel or some sort of passage between dimensions is happening here. Mm. Uh, and and so these we feel these two are getting closer and closer now. How do we feel about this whole scenario of seeing Carmel Glauchland being reduced to being like a blank slate essentially?
1: Yeah, it's it's really interesting, particularly when you you obviously realise that Dougie is manufactured. He's been mm. and, and and he's specifically told by the by the one-armed man, you know, someone manufactured you for a purpose. So he's kind of a facsimile of Doppelkoop, but kind of like. He's clearly like this this kind of mid-range Person of like he's he's not Coop and he's not Doppel Coop and he's just like this obviously really messy well, childish human in, in like I mean, in the middle. It's revealed
2: it's you know in in part four that there is something, but he doesn't have a history, so he mm. doesn't have a personality, so to speak, mm. you know, because he doesn't have anything to to shape himself on, and so no. that's really interesting as well he's, because he is you know infantile. He just you know you can kind of tell that he just does. He's basically, like, your gross office man who drinks beer all day and then, yeah. he, you know, goes to the cast. Yeah. So he's, you that, know, no
1: one impressed. You him. know, that uncle who at parties tells, like, the worst jokes and you yeah. just pretend you're not related to him. And yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. yeah.
0: yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. But that
1: he, he is, you know, he doesn't have a
2: history and so that's what's really interesting there. Mm.
0: Definitely, yeah. And this is also our first appearance of Garmin Bozier. Um, which uh, Doppelkub vomits up in the car and seems to be some vomiting going on from Dougie as well.
1: Oh, my goodness. I honestly never thought I'd see Lynch go with projector vomit. Yeah. What a time to be alive.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's fascinating. So we've got all this scum and bosia, which, of course, as we know, signifies pain and suffering or pain and sadness, according to some people. Hello Diane podcast they had a bit discussion about which, which it is excellent um, yeah and so um, but we've never seen this much before so there's an awful amount of pain and suffering that's being projectile vomited all around this beautiful black um, Cadillac mm. by Doppelcoop so we kind of leave him in this state of extreme stress and to go back to um, Dougie who's now having very awkward conversations with the sex worker who I believe has a name I should probably find
1: out her name is, uh, her name is Jade and she's played by Nefessa Williams thank you
0: yes Great performance, I thought.
1: Oh, I thought she was great. Like she was carrying like, those things. She really was. She mm. she did a fantastic job with a role that was, that was you know, Thankless. far more limited than it should have been.
0: Then we get a whole bunch more symbolism happening in the Red Room with this with the golden orb, the one-armed man, mm. the table that we might recognise from Fire Walk With Me, which had yeah. a, the ring on it.
1: Yes. And then poor old Dougie gets pooped into another Magritte painting.
0: <sighs> but who, yeah, you kind of can... Yeah, it's not a good life, but at the same time, it is Magritte. <laughs> oh God, it could be a lot worse. Um, again, we get a lot of familiar places from the first two seasons, scenes, but we're shot, they're shot in a totally different way, so the camera's far faster and more fluid, and we get these shots of the, of the zigzagging floor as the camera moves along it. This kind of gives us this disorienting sense of being of travelling between the worlds, and so we know that there's all this tension going on between the, the Doppelkoop. And good Cooper. But then also this this obviously this big calling back to the lodge. So there's a huge force, the probably the life force of Doppelcoop, which he's trying to betray at this time.
1: First of all, I love the fact that uh yes, the intergalactic interdimensional facts comes out of a power yeah, outlet. It's beautiful. That's yeah. just that's just super lynch and also just another really crappy special effect. <laughs> Bless There's this whole kind of sequence where it's 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 very Riley funny, but it's also I don't know i I think there's a real element of like sadness around it as well can you imagine how disorientating it must be to be back in the world after 25 years in the black lodge i mean it's it's no wonder coop is disorientated and doesn't know where he is or who he is and is essentially having to like by crumb by crumb Figure out what's going on and basically attempt to relearn mm. how to be human in the world.
2: Yeah, and I mean he's gone through this portal time shift, and so he's completely disoriented, mm. and that must be huge. I was, know, what I was, gone through, yeah, I was mm. even
1: thinking like physically, must the world, must the real world feel physically, haptically different to to how the Black Lodge feels and how all those weird. Well I mean it's larger, you know, mean, so to speak, yeah. it goes forever. You Whereas know. the black lodge is very yeah. contained, very small, very red, yeah. shall we say, you know? Yeah. So is is the real world louder? Does it feel different? Does it make your skin hurt? Does mm. it make make mm. your eyes not be able to work properly? Like it's it there's yeah, and I think Carl McLaughlin does this really quite beautiful thing of really embodying just this almost not a blank slate, because I feel like there's still there's still something of Coop there. But mm. it's like being reconfronted with these things and experiences again and not knowing how to process them and not yeah. knowing what they are. And it's this beautiful, almost like childlike, I'm just going to quietly start imitating things and see what happens mm. and whether this yeah. is the right way to do things. <clears throat>
0: Yeah, this is really, really cool. The way he starts parroting stuff to mm. learn, so he's obviously like a sponge, basically mm. just picking up everything. Yeah, mm. that that was really, really, really great device. It was so wonderful seeing him again mm. <laughs> just in this state. Yeah.
1: And of course, there is that moment where Jade reaches into his pockets and ends up pulling out his room key from the great mm. northern yeah <laughs> you
0: know,
1: It was really interesting
2: thinking about where twin peaks came from which was you know like the dark underbelly of domesticity is like you know the the real life dark underbelly of domesticity is that you've got you know men who cheat on their wives um and so that is what is mundane now and that, that is what is being disrupted mm. by this new you know, well, Dougie and then the return of, of Coop. And that's something that's really interesting and I think quite new here and is obviously... I mean, I felt quite strange and I wasn't really... I didn't really know if I enjoyed it because it was so slow and... It was that, very awkward, the, yeah. like deliberately it was, yes. awkward. And then the bit with the, you know, the two guys who do the drive-by, mm. you know, and try and do the shooting, I, I was just like, what's this about in in more of i mean because it was so based in the real world i was less i guess tolerant of yeah, not, not making sense yeah yep. if that if that makes sense to you guys and so that was what's strange but i think it was you know it was so kind of great to just just rip after what happened at the beginning of this part to just rip us back into mm. this sun bleached like suburban las vegas <laughs> suburban las vegas <laughs> mm. and yeah. just
1: say look we're here now I I also kind of really love the balls of yes, Coop's back in the real world, but he's not really Coop yet. Yeah, mm. well, this is what you've all wanted. This but, is yeah. Mm. But it's not This is what you've all been begging for, but it's not it's yeah. not gonna be anywhere near what you thought it was gonna be. Mm. And are you guaranteed that Coop is ever gonna get back to his, you know, quote mm. unquote old self? Mm. Yeah. Which, which, personally, I feel like after 25 years in the Black Lodge, you could never get back to what you were
0: before <laughs> yeah. that. Yeah, it's like trying to get back with a girlfriend that you, well, a partner who just doesn't exist in that way anymore. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, I think it's really interesting the use of sex also in this so far, in this, uh, in Twit Peaks, The Return. So the, the first time anyone tries to have sex there, they make a horrific end very quickly. This time, Dougie is basically replaced. Mm. And so it's, it's, it seems to be like this. The, I mean, also even in Mulholland Drive, that the sex scene between Laura Harring and Naomi Watts this—you know—it's this exchange of selves in a way. So it becomes this yeah. hugely important, really loaded um, action, mm. and it never happens for pleasure, just for, just for pleasure with Lynch. I don't think it mm. always has this much darker suggestion of of there being um, the denial of the self, the subjugation mm. of the self, or the accepting of another force or something like that.
2: Well, Horror films are all about that. Exactly. Yeah. <coughs> so.
0: Mm. And then we get back to the uh, sheriff station.
1: Ah, uh, back to twin pigs and hawks near-permanent <laughs> can-you-believe-these-white-people-face. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, actually, sorry, we skipped a bit again. There was uh, the scene of the junkie woman at, at house number 119 across the road from mm. the house that Dougie was in. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Yeah. So, um, uh,
1: yes, it, this was one of those scenes where I was kind of sitting there just going, okay, this has no apparent relation to what's going on but it's lynch so Mm. you've got to pay attention because there'll be something here that will be returned to at some point so i don't have anything eloquent to say about it now because i feel like (laughs) we have not been given enough to realize its significance yes i feel we
0: have to mention it as well because she could become very important later on or that child that she's with as well Mm. who's eating a ripped box of saltines um while she's mixing jd and pills also, the, the uh, car, Doppelcoup's car is discovered, and the, mm. s- and the smell. So we're getting mm. much more linching scents here. Mm-hmm. I'm really liking this. So there's this use of the disgusting smell, which I was wondering, is it scorched engine oil that's overpowering? Is it an opening to a gateway? I don't think it is in this case. Mm. it possibly is the smell of death, which is mm. also reminiscent of Part 1 mm-hmm. and the smell from the apartment yeah. next door.
1: So this was the discovery of Doppelcoup's car, yes? yes? Yes.
0: Yes, good. Yeah. Um, and they couldn't even approach it, so they called for back up in yes. gas masks.
1: He's literally toxic
0: yeah yeah totally good point point. and so then we cut from those policemen to the sheriff Twin Peaks sheriff to the station where Hawk is sticking a disturbed sign with a donut on it on it to a door uh, oh, while Lucy and I and love Hawk that
1: I love that sit so around much. and look at
0: a table full of documents
1: yes there is something missing Heeding and Hawk needs towards. to find it yeah, yeah.
0: Um, if it's not here then how do we know it's missing
1: Um, We get Lucy Logic
0: in action again. Lucy
1: Logic in action, and Andy Logic, (laughs) and I think this is the sort of thing. Going back to talking about, we've spoken before about how these sort of scenes at Twin Peaks are done at a much slower pace. Yes, and often the jokes that are built into them Mm -hmm. and sometimes become almost unbearable. Yeah,
0: yeah. It's like the. It's so strange. Mm -hmm. It's such a weird thing to do to tell a joke and then just kill it as soon as you can.
1: Mm. I'm not sure whether. The characters of Lucy and Andy are kind of being used in a way of signposting to the audience. You can't hang on to the old too much, yeah. Because if you hang on to the old and don't move forward, this is what happens.
2: Mm. Mm -hmm. Um, You just regress, maybe.
1: Yeah, or or you just stay the same, and things kind of accelerate beyond you. Which Mm. I will. There's there. There'll be a point later on. in, I believe, part four, Well, I will elucidate on this further. <laughs> yes.
2: But what's also really interesting and makes these scenes a bit more, I don't want to say unbearable, but, you know, almost so is that the scenes between Andy and Lucy in the original always, uh, you know, took part in the busy office or whatever, mm. like, you know, things happening around them. Mm. There were always sounds, you know, generic uh, office sounds or yes. what have you. And, and, they're in
1: this... all... and they're always quite combative with each other as well because they always had like shit going on between each other. Yeah. and in this yeah.
2: room there mm. is nothing. Yeah. There's no, nothing happening around them. You know, there's no sounds. There's there's no. nothing really going on or no. to kind of serve as, you know, some, mm. some backdrop for them. Yeah. And so that makes it a little bit more awkward
1: Mm. Mm. and particularly juxtaposed against hawk who's always been a very calm presence for the most part anyway very patient and kind of only speaks when he he really has something to say so yeah you you do get that that great moment where he's like it's not about the bunny (laughs) is it about the bunny and does lynch have
2: a thing about rabbits did I read that somewhere? Well, he
0: has got a, sh- a s- that weird thing that turned up in the *Inland Empire*. I guess it's like a sitcom starring rabbits with people with rabbits' heads on them.
2: Yeah, I what? mean, hmm. is that is that a thing?
0: That's a thing. That's definitely be a, a thing. thing. <laughs> yeah, um, I'm trying to think if it turned up. I think that some rabbits turned up in some of his very early shorts as well. Yeah. In the late 60s. Okay. So I think it is an ongoing thing with him, but mm. I, what it means, I don't really know.
2: Yeah. Perhaps nothing.
0: Perhaps nothing. Yeah, but the chocolate bunnies, yes, mm. um, is an example of weird Twin Peaks Ed style mm. joke but kind of like a dark version of it so yeah it feels like these things are going to be tough to rewatch in a way because you're like mmm I get it it's yeah it's, I don't know I don't really want to revisit that version of Andy and Lucy
2: I did rewatch it. Did you? How did mm. it stand up? Yeah, not not well. That I mean, might know, be know. why I like ragged on it so much. <laughs> no, 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 I'm on the same page. But, yeah. I was like, yeah,
1: yeah. You're giving us
2: what
0: we wanted, but not in yes. the way that anybody wanted
1: it. Well, yes. Well, speaking of, the following scene, we're back with Dr. Jacoby yeah. and his shovels. His magic shovels. Which yeah. he's now spray painting gold. And look, I'm sure this will coalesce into something mm. eventually, particularly because Dr. Jacoby was always very strangely singularly minded. Yes. Um, yeah. So I'm sure something weird and interesting will be popping up with this, but Lynch <laughs> is in no hurry to give us no, much ex- extra want... information about it at all.
0: Yeah. I feel like this is also going to tie back into some sort of Masonic slash Illuminati thing. Oh, because God. Because this is a big part of the story, the secret history. Oh,
1: God. <laughs> so there
0: is some some sort of symbolism around shovels, I believe. Oh. And this is or oh, like particular tools that Mason's had and so I don't know I'm not saying that that's what it is definitely but I feel like this is very very slowly I'm going to lead us into something that's really key later on but I also feel like the um that Andy and Lucy were introduced a little early in a way it feels like they're dragging this thing out I mean this entire message from the log lady acting on the thing could have been done in 10 minutes but instead we're getting it dragged over the early episodes mm.
1: and, and it's particularly interesting that we're focusing on them like I, I really love Andy and Lucy I, I really like both of them as characters but there's so many other characters from Twin Peaks that we still haven't seen yeah. yet. And mm. the fact that we're spending so much time in the Sheriff's office with these particular characters, you mm. kind of have to ask yourself why.
0: Exactly. Why haven't we seen Friend of the Show, Cheryl and Fenn's or Horn yet?
1: Yes. I haven't, I haven't had that
2: thought, to be honest. I'm just still, you know, there's plenty of time left. Yes. I'm expecting that, obviously, you know, Lynch <laughs> is just taking his time with this story. So I haven't had that thought yet, but I am still um, eager to see what happens next. Mm. Anywho.
0: Well next we go to um, Silver Mustang Casino in Nevada.
1: Yes. Call for help.
0: Call for help. Call yeah. for help. Call for help. Here's five
1: dollars. Yep, here's five dollars and you can go out now. And <laughs> that's yeah, you the, can go out now. That's, that's the kind nice. of magic phrase that gets in. Um I feel like Carl McLaughlin should win an Emmy alone for the getting through the revolving door sequence. Oh my god. Like, look, I've I've been very restrained on this podcast so far. I haven't kind of revealed the true extent of my admiration and regard for the work and person of Carl McLaughlin. You can go on my personal Twitter, there's a lot of thirsty tweets. Um, But anyway, Jesus fucking Christ, is everyone seeing this? Is everyone seeing what this man is doing? This is honestly like one of the best goddamn performances I've ever seen like I feel like th- there <laughs> probably isn't any other actor who's been called upon to do something like this I don't know perhaps the closest is Tatiana Maslany of Orphan Black iterations of but I feel like yeah. McLaughlin's doing this in the middle of a lynch joint yeah. which is just like
0: and also ex- great working uh, extras around as well the security guard is like what yeah, yeah. What? hang on mm? Okay. Yeah. yeah it's all good it's Vegas
1: yeah, just the way that everyone else is kind of like interacting with him, yes, and yeah. and I feel like there's yeah, yeah there's something so gloriously pure, and also something so bleak about the fact that like Coop is learning how to function again in the middle of a casino, yeah, one of toxic which is places. one of the most depressing yeah. and, and desperate, lifeless. lifeless, awful places humans have ever come up with, and filled with like desperate people who clearly know that there's something not quite. Right with him, but they still let him just continue mm. on into the casino, putting mm. money into into yeah, slot it, machines, and
0: it felt to me like these were residents of the Fat Trout Trailer Park mm. from *Fly With. Yeah, well, like I mean, casinos take advantage
2: of people, and they have no mm. no qualms doing
0: so. Mm. Mm. Yeah, that's who. The woman with the I, I want to call her the burnt face woman because she looks like she's just been, hasn't been outside for a long time, or she has some sort of massive vitamin D deficiency or something. Mm. She's called the lady slot addict. She, she ends up, she, you know, calling him Mr Jackpots, which everyone, anyone who's been on social media for the last few weeks yes. would have had been updated with. Hello, oh god, yeah, sorry, <laughs> you can do that again, if <laughs> like. hello. excellent thank
1: you Um, there it is the defining meme of the series done (laughs) (laughs) done
0: (laughs) and i could tell that some of those always were caps and some of them were lowercase too oh
1: absolutely there is a particular way you need to spell it exactly yeah very particular
0: um so then we see these like the floating image of the red room over some of the poker machines and we managed to get lots of hellos and lots of money and then uh, mr jackpot is born
2: (sighs) yeah so i maybe feel free to call me just a little bit slow but at first i thought that the thing floating above all of the those um poker machines was a candle was an image of a candle, and I was like, "What's a candle got to do with it?" But then I realized that, of course, it was just a little bit
0: of like yeah, the, the curtain image, right? and the
2: you know the room's <laughs> tiny yeah. little thing. And then because I was looking so closely at it, I think, and then I noticed obviously you know the the lady goes and pulls on one of his jackpot machines and comes up with three donuts. I don't know yes. if you guys
0: look. Oh like yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but oh, well, the this...
2: machine that so he wins you know something like four jackpots or whatever. You've won twenty eight thousand dollars. And then um, the little curtain. It's floating above this one poking machine and he walks off and he says to that the other lady does it. And it's called Giant Jackpot. Mm. And I'm like, is this a message from the giant? This is this something to do with the giant? Is this mm. you know, is this well, it there are multiple, multiple Red right?
0: Rooms. This is the thing. So there's one, it seems like there's one in South America that's going to be coming up later because there's right. a lot of stuff happening in Colombia. Mm. Mm. And also, in, um, you know, David Bowie's Philip Jeffries was in Buenos Aires. Yeah. yeah. So that's, that's possibly going to be playing into it later. So there may be multiple Red Rooms, yeah.
2: Yeah. Anyway, I just love that it was called Giant Jack. Oh,
0: yeah, yeah. And well, there were the three sevens. that were a donuts. The three sevens, yeah. It was like basically a wonderland of symbolism. Mm. And then we cut to the FBI headquarters in Philadelphia, and I got so excited at this because I was finally, oh my God, it's Albert, (laughs) it's Albert Cole, and we get to meet uh, Tammy Preston for the first time, who is the star of the um, Secret History of Twin Peaks book, because her it's it's a um, epistolary novel with where she makes notes all the way through on the side, but only have initials at TP, and it's not till the end you find out that it's this particular character, who is played by Lynch Muse, Krista Bell. And so looking at clues in the garden of a house in Georgetown, they're basically talking about another case that may or may not come back to play. In,
1: in yes, least. the congressman's dilemma, as yeah. Gordon calls it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it. feels like it should be like next to the trolley problem in a book of things to solve logically. Um, and then they're trying to solve the glass box murders. And they're looking at the footage, and a few frames show the hooded spirit and the photos of the violently killed couple, which actually seem now to be lobotomized. Mm. Um, Which feels like, in a way, that's kind of a nod to what's happening to Coop. As well, uh, although of course it's not, not specifically in the same way. The scene ends with a Cooper is calling from an assistant. We get a disembodied voice coming over at a little intercom. Oh my God, Lynch loves these disembodied voices coming from somewhere else or people off screen, <laughs> um, and everybody's very excited and they have to be sure that you know they have to check themselves. To um, and then they set up a meeting for nine a.m. We fly at dawn for the Badlands and the Black Hills of South Dakota.
1: Yes, and Tammy's coming too, oh, yeah. which she's she's kind of like, oh, I'm d- okay, and yeah. yes, and you can just tell Albert's joy of being stuck in a lot of small spaces <laughs> with Gordon for the foreseeable future, as he says, the absurd mystery of the strange forces of existence. How about a truckload of Valium? Albert is my favorite.
0: Yeah. Oh man, no one delivers those lines like him. <laughs> Even when they're really like like lame uh, cliches, like Good Life Punk, mm. yeah, somehow he invests no. that with all the Miguel
1: Ferrer. He was he, oh. he was an artist, oh, God, he an, an artist under, of under, just the under under withering line appreciated
0: in his lifetime. Oh,
1: absolutely.
0: And um, we finally finished back at the Roadhouse with the Cactus Blossoms. Yeah, one of my faves. Loved them.
1: Yes, that was so good. We we, we love some flannelled boys playing some you know tweed uh, yeah, and alt old ha- country harmonising. Mm. Yeah, yeah. It was beautiful. Be yes, like back in time. Yes. I did notice, I, I, apologies, I, I neglected to see who on Twitter exactly said this, but someone said something along the lines of that all of these bands appearing at the end of each episode and over the credits, it's getting like the late show with David Lynch. Yes.
0: <laughs> oh, yeah, that's a great call. Mm. Which I thought about. <laughs> Which
1: I thoroughly agree with. <laughs> I'm all on board.
0: Brilliant.
2: Setting up my TV to
0: watch the finale of a show called Twin Peaks. It's Twin Peaks, and it's very end. I panic and change the subject to the Twin Peaks reboot till she gets bored.
2: I mean, she totally gave up on Twin Peaks.
0: It's too David Lynch.
1: My Twin Peaks experience. Brilliant. (laughs) I have absolutely no idea what's going on.
0: Um, and any sound, notable sound moments?
1: Um, oh, all of the crazed, like like I mentioned earlier, all of the crazed industrial sounds, particularly in that first third in, mm. in space. Mm-hmm. Um, I Eloise, was
2: particularly into the, you know, with when the time is switching back and forth the clocks the erratic ticking and changing it's just so unnerving and yeah. it was so evocative and essential to that you know you have the visual and audio accompanying each other mm. that that scene was so so yes
0: key. yeah it's a really um, nice distance because
2: ticking is obviously like often so slow and measured and it's just completely unraveled here
0: mm. yeah yeah i really love the muted t- tones of the uh casino Without mm-hmm. making it visually look like the most depressing place on earth, it sounded like every every sound was kind of dying mm-hmm. really quickly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was it was a really nice touch. I thought quite subtle.
2: Yeah, something else as well that uh, maybe I could mention this later. But I just now, because you mentioned disembodied voices being like something that Lynch was totally into, and when I was like thinking about doing this podcast and talking about noir, I was went back to the very first episode. You know, where the principal of the school. Announces Laura Palmer's death over the loudspeaker, yes. um, and you—it it starts on him, but then you cut to the halls, and the—you know—his voice kind of emanating everywhere. And I was like, "This is so, this is so noir." You know, this disembodied voice coming from somewhere and um, giving you, speaking of death or whatever, or being a voice from beyond and coming from nowhere, and you know, disturbing mm. the people on screen. It's so noir, and there's so much history to it, and and obviously. You know he keeps doing it throughout the series, and he's he's done it again. But yes. this idea of you know this voice, this omniscient voice that that controls life and death.
0: Mm. Because also in the um, glass box room, there's the dis- detached voice, the, the person we never see, a female voice that says "Camera three. Oh yeah. And you have a visitor, like n- again never seen, but also yeah. And I really loved
2: cool. in just going back to the, that room, which I forgot to mention. All of those, you know the. The still shots of the cameras watching, yes. Um, mm. so um, creepy, yeah, um, yeah, and just the, those red lights flashing on and off, and you know, that they're watching and are mm. they thinking? And
0: anyway, mm. yeah, that yeah. idea, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I love that as well. Um, do you have any that's Lynchian moments?
1: If you just want to take a whimsical lynch moment, definitely don't disturb,
0: yeah, that was very pretty.
1: Good that was pretty high grade that
0: mm, i feel like that gag was made just for him
1: <laughs> my one of my faves
2: was uh gordon cole shouting i can't remember what it was in response to something he just shouts what the hell because <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't know what's going on and i was like no neither does anyone <laughs> no, else so no. totally, you know that's
0: all of us it's fine <laughs> yeah yeah we fly at dawn.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> God, I just love his... his oh,
1: memory. just his bellowing. It's great.
0: Yeah, it's pretty, pretty peachy.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, please get in touch with us if you want to. We're at Twitter at TP Season 3 and also on Facebook at TP Season 3. Eloise, if someone wants to send you a message to find out more about your theories about disembodied voices...
2: Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Eloise L.O.
1: Ross. Um, <laughs> if you want to see all of my mad ramblings, you can find me at Hayley, H-A-Y-L-E-Y, underscore SASS, S-A-S-S.
0: Cool. Um, you can also email us on tbseason3 at gmail.com. You can
1: go, where can people follow you on Twitter, Oh, I'm Andy? at Andy Ricky.
0: In case you're not already following me